Lord, thank you for the beauty of this time and this text. For the way, Lord, that we are challenged to no longer regard people according to the outer appearance. For truly man does judge and view from the surface, but Lord, you know the heart. You've told Samuel tonight here in this beautiful church while we sit here with your word open, spoiled rotten in the word because we have Bibles in, in any place we need them. We have them on our phones. We have them on our iPads. We have literal copies as well that we can carry around with us that we can um, we can just read on the train and have people stare because we're, we're reading the Bible. It's just so beautiful that tonight you've ordained for every person here to encounter you through your word. And I pray you would do exactly that. Lord, bust open our hearts that we would really be available to you. That we would hear your voice the way we should. Lord, may we walk out of here bathed in your word, refreshed in your word, strengthened in your spirit, and at peace by your voice. So, Lord, we commit this time. Lord, immerse me in your spirit. Fill me to overflowing that you would do through me now what I cannot humanly do and speak to every one of us individually as well as corporately. And may we be captivated in your word now. Have your way, Lord, I pray. Jesus, in your name. Amen. Would say tonight is it would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. It is never about a guy with a mic being the authority. The Bible will always be the authority. That's the beauty here. And if it doesn't add up with Scripture, then it doesn't add up. Notice in verse 1 of chapter 4, it starts with the word therefore. We kind of have a rule with that. If you have a therefore, why don't you find out what the therefore is there for? It's a bridge between a previous thought now and normally some form of action. Some form of, well, it's going to bear forth some form of fruit. In the last chapter, if you remember, there were three primary points in regards to validation, sufficiency, and transcendence. Validation, we have a personal validation, that's at the cross of Jesus. We have a practical validation, and that is the fruit that Jesus has us bear as we cling to him as he teaches us in John 15, verses 1 through 16. So how am I validated? Personally, I'm validated at the cross. Jesus showed me he'd rather die than live without me, and he knows me perfectly. Practically, how am I validated? By the fruit that the Lord chooses to bear as I cling to him. Sufficiency. Personally, my personal sufficiency will always be this, that I'm never sufficient in and of myself. Jesus is. Practical, Jesus, though, has made me sufficient for what he wants to do through me. He is the one who is building me into whatever the vessel he wants to use me for. And he will make me perfectly perfect for that because he doesn't make mistakes. So my validation, personal, is Jesus' cross. My practical validation is then the fruit that Jesus bears through me. Sufficiency, my personal sufficiency, is Jesus. My practical sufficiency is the way that Jesus makes me. Transcendence and endurance, how I do things that will last, how things will happen, well, it's per personally, that's through Jesus' spirit. That's how we can transcend. That's how we can endure even the greatest of trials. It's his spirit that carries us. Practically, the ministry is the ministry of righteousness through Jesus. It is not the ministry of condemnation. It is not the ministry of laying out just, you do this and you do this, and this is the dress code, and this is the hairstyle, and this is the tie you wear, and this is, how you, this is what initiates you into the club, and this is what happens if you try to escape. But we're not a cult. Transcendence is... 
that the ministry we have, and every one of us will have the same ministry, how it lived out will be different, but the, trans, the ministry is simple, and that is that we have the ministry of making people right with God. And how does that happen? Through the gift of Jesus Christ. Now, do you see a consistency in all of that? Personal validation, Jesus' is cross. Practical validation, Jesus' is fruit. Personal sufficiency, Jesus is. Practical sufficiency, Jesus makes me. Personal transcendence, Jesus' spirit. Practical transcendence, the ministry of righteousness through Jesus. Do you see the consistency in all of those? What is it, beloved? It's Jesus. That's the point. You remove Jesus and what you have is isms. Groups that draw battle lines and shoot at each other. That are supposed to be on the same side. And we arm ourselves with texts and arguments and historical whatevers. And by the time we're done blowing off the dust from our books and yelling at each other, and Jesus says, we'll be known by our love, and we think we're loving each other by shooting at each other, it's clear that that's nonsense. But if what we focus on is what man focuses on, there will always be differences. Again, man looks at the surface. It is the Lord who looks at the heart. And that becomes thus the difference. There will always be men and women, black and white, tall and, and short, skinny and fat, young and old. There will always be that from a surface level. But I've met people that are 25 that are older than Shirley. If you look at the heart. I've met people that are over six foot or two meters that are clearly smaller than Naomi in the heart. She's a lion. And the beauty in all of this, beloved, is, is that if we look at the heart, everything changes. If you have accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, you have had a heart transplant. Because there really are two hearts. There's a heart of stone and a heart that is soft. And the Lord promised Ezekiel and Jeremiah that he would replace the heart of stone with a heart of flesh. Our hearts were walled up. We thought we were safe as a result of that. We didn't realize we built our own prison cells. Hey, but hey, nobody gets hurt here. Yeah, you're all alone, rotting. Congratulations, nobody else can get to you. It's a heart of stone. But the Lord promised he would replace that with a heart that feels. A heart that's living and beats and knows the difference. Is it a heart that would break? Absolutely. But at least it's a heart that's alive. And because this is the ministry we have now, this ministry where I'm personally validated by Jesus, I'm personally sufficient by Jesus, I personally transcend by Jesus, because I know that the ministry he's given me is one of making people right with him. And that's my whole mission. Therefore, that's my first word of this verse. Since we have this ministry... As we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. We are challenged twice, once in the Thessalonian letters and once to the Galatians, that we are to not grow weary in doing well. But that is so rough. It says, in due season you will reap. There's the problem. If you're anything like me, I'd like to plant something. 
and I'd like it to grow in front of me right away. Even bamboo takes too long, and you know you're in trouble when that's because it can grow as much as a meter a day. You can almost watch it grow. I don't know how many of you are new these days, but there was days where we used to have, at least at the school that I went to, they were like these book club things. And these people would come by with these magazines, and you would order books from it. And, and I was one of those weird enough kids that I liked books. Uh, today, if I would have been born you know, 20 years later, I probably don't know what I would be doing, writing code or something. But in those days, well, in those days, we actually did something crazy. Our Xbox was called Books. That's what they were called. And, sorry, tell me another story, Grandpa. And, and, and you would do this thing where you would order these books. And it still happens today. You can, it's just not always books. It's just you, you go online and you see something you really like and you order it and you, you, your heart waits at the door. And you're like, but it says it should be there in two to 300 days. My heart read two. My brain says 300, but I listen into my head. It's coming from China on the back of a floating donkey. You know what you've ordered from them too, haven't you? And you're like, oh man, I just... Have you ever been in a hurry and you look at the back of that microwave dinner thing and it says one minute and 45 seconds and you think, what? I thought this was a microwave meal. I can't believe popcorn takes three minutes to pop. The movie will be over by then. This is stories I've heard of, of course, I don't feel any of this. And so, understand here, God understands this restlessness and this desire to see, but but we can attach that just to eternity as much and say, well, but I'm so tired of waiting to see it come about. What's amazing is how quickly we could miss the fruit that we actually would be seeing because we're so quickly seeing something that seems so adverse. The moment we see something that seems like opposition, the moment we see something that looks like a weed, the moment we see something that looks a bit wonky, whatever the case is, it seems like, oh, and it's so easy to think that's the whole garden. And how sad is that? And you overlook the beautiful fruit that I'm staring at right now. When people ask, what's it like being a pastor? I tell them I feel like I get to lay in the most beautiful garden I've ever seen and I get credit as the gardener. I don't get it, but I'm thankful. Don't grow weary, beloved. Don't grow weary because God's not holding you liable for the fruit. That's his job. God's holding holding you liable for the obedience. That is how he views success in your eyes. If you're obedient to him, well, the rest is all his responsibility anyways. Because we have this ministry, we don't lose heart. Because I know that really, if I can connect you with Christ, if I can any way bring you to the place, and, and I know it's not my responsibility. It's like I can I could bring water to you, but I can't make you dr- make you drink. I get that. But if I know that I've done that, I can walk away from that situation and sleep tonight, knowing that if you die, it's your choice now. Paul said to the Ephesian elders in Miletus. In Acts 22, he says, I want you to know that I'm innocent of the blood of all men. Could you imagine? 
This was a guy who, by the way, used to kill people. He had him arrested. But now he knows the blood of Christ has washed him from all of that. And he says, For I have not hesitated but to proclaim the whole counsel of God. Paul knew his responsibility, and he was going to do it to the point, you think I could teach long? That guy could actually go all night. A guy falls out of a window, drops dead. Paul lays on top of him. The guy is brought back to life. He gets back upstairs, and he was like, No, where was I? And he goes until the morning. I mean, so... so the whole point of it is this, is that Paul would rather do that and have everybody leave the room, but know that he was innocent for telling you the total truth, than do what most people could do where we're afraid to even give people too much truth or, or even a little bit because we're afraid we'll scare them away. Hey, one thing we learn in this culture, and it's a beautiful thing, but it is definitely its own dance, is how to read the subtleties. Now, as a guy, I'll be honest with you, you know, you've ever seen those jokes where it says, you know, it's like man and woman. Man, it's like a single switch. It's like on, off, gallon. It's like 35 dials. You know, you ever see those kind of things? You know, it's like, and I have to learn which fine that is. It's like, how are you doing? Fine. Which fine is that? You ask a guy, how are you doing? Fine. And you know what's weird, ladies? It means fine is what it means, actually, really. That's it. You're like, it's not shallow, it's just honest. Now, the, the reason I say that is you have to learn the subtleties of which fine are we talking about. Because if you're like, fine, and you're going, okay, and you walk away, they're like, I can't believe he didn't pursue that with more. Well, you said fine. And there's a point where you start reading into things, and there are subtle ways to say things in such a way that, can I just say, in these seven verses, there are some of the most British verses that Paul uses. Because what he is saying is, this is what we don't do. And to be honest, it took being a parent to make some form of clarity to connect these dots a bit. But there are four very powerful things in here. And we can all agree, if this was a melodrama, we could present them, we can boo and hiss and throw tomatoes at these things. But in the end of it all, there's a part where God pulls us aside and says, now what about you? Is there a hint of this in your life, Tony? Now again, because we have this ministry, what is the ministry? We have the ministry... We have, listen, we have the greatest ministry on earth. There is no greater service in the universe than what we do. Are you aware of that? Hey, there is a man who can take a six-month-old child and unscrew his head and replace parts of his brain so that he could function. And that is great, but that kid could grow up and go to hell. And in the sight of eternity, it's a very small blip. There are people that can go out there and they can rescue people from burning buildings. They can go out there and pray to make sure every dog has a home and every cat is spayed and every whatever is this and to make sure that all the wetlands are nice and to make sure that nobody is destroying the ozone and to make sure that somehow we have responsibility to save the universe. Funny, it was our God a while ago. And, and in all of those things, and we can pray this and make sure we don't use complex fluorocarbons anymore and no more hairspray, ladies, and, and to make sure that everybody is doing this and, and we're only using organic and we're, and we're making sure that it's all free-range and we can hug our trees and we can do our things and we can grow our flowers and we can do all of our stuff and everybody uses biofuel and all go to hell and it will all be forgotten in a very short period of time. And we get to do something, the one thing that lasts for eternity. Are you aware of that? The smallest motion made creates a ripple greater in the universe than the most grandiose life that's temporary. Think about it. There are people who have changed the world with their actions. I would confidently say Hitler was one of those. And he killed a whole lot of people. 
And in a very weird way, and I'm saying this in no support of him, he gave a whole lot of other people hope. It was a sick and very twisted hope, I'll grant you that. But if you say, well, this guy gave some people hope, that's good. Well, I could say so did Hillary. And the reason I say that is, is whatever thing you do, whatever it is, in the sight of eternity is infinitely greater than anything else. And we have the ministry of connecting lost mankind with their only salvation. Do you realize how beautiful and profound that is? I can tell you no matter how beautiful of a coat or a house or a church or whatever you build, how deep or rich of a song or beautiful of a painting, and it can sit in whatever museum it wants to for the rest of the time until the Lord comes back, until the universe blows up. In the end of it all, we're all going to stand before God, and I don't believe God's going to go, that was such a beautiful rendition. I love the way that you chose perspective and the colors and, and, and the composition. Because God's the greatest artist. But there is a place where God is going to stand with his people and he's going to stand with people and God is actually going to applaud his own because of the things that they've done in him. You imagine. And at that moment, nothing else will matter. All the high scores that we've gotten on Xbox. Do not earn us one penny to the world around us. No matter how many chicken nuggets you can eat in a minute. Now maybe there's a competition where you can win a shirt. But in the sight of most people, it doesn't account you much. Because we have this ministry, how could we possibly lose heart? Do you remember where you were a year ago? Do you remember when you were five? Do you remember how many of you were helpless and hopeless and hapless? Do you remember how many were just struggling to get by? Do you know what the Lord has done in five years? Do you know how we got to be a part of that together? Do you know what it's like to be a part of someone's testimony when God reads the book of a person's life and your name is mentioned in there? Do you realize how profound that is, especially if it's for a good purpose? So let me tell you about these four things that Paul is saying now as he infers them here over these next six verses. Can I say this? Thank you. Thank you for the way the Lord has used you to be part of my book. The way he's written your name in my book because of how you've been used to inspire me. That could be as much as a shivering hand in the water or a deep hug that I could barely breathe from or the tears of a person because of the way that they're overwhelmed by God, or the ridiculous laughter because of the freedom in Christ, or the peace in an otherwise stormy nature. Thank you. Because all of that's in my book. And I think, I don't even know what's in my book sometimes. Does that make sense? I feel like I want to read that book. And there are times where the Lord reads a little bit of it to me while I lay awake at night. And I had the privilege of about three hours of laying awake last night. And there's some of the most beautiful hours because it's those moments I get to hear the voice of the Lord so clear. And my lovely wife, who also has her own way of singing at night. So listen to this now as we go through these verses, beloved. Verse 2. 
But we have renounced the hidden things of shame. Not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. But by the manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Which every one of these inferences, and there'll be four, two of them are in this verse. There will always be a rather, or a rather, instead. And here's the first and the second. The first is that there is an open encouragement to the things of shame. Notice what Paul says is, we've actually renounced. We've publicly declared our disaffiliation with the hidden things of shame. That's what he says here. It's the most literal way to put this. We have openly declared we do not stand for sexual sin. And that is, by the way, anything outside of a man and a woman committed in marriage. That's what the scripture says. And I take it. We openly denounce that. We openly denounce the abuse of children and the abandoning of children by men who sleep around. Father children, which is even a scary word to use. They impregnate women, but they don't father anything. And most of them, of course, had never had their own fathers to know what it would be like. We openly renounce that. As a matter of fact, I find it fascinating that Elijah, when he was supposed to, when he's supposed to come, it tells us that you know how what will be the truest signs of revival? It tells us in the book of Malachi, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the children to their fathers. Could you imagine a day when fathers' hearts are turned to their children? Can you see why God would... I mean, imagine that was just as pertinent in Malachi's day, 400 years before Jesus came, as it is today, 2,400 years after you know, this was written. We openly renounce the hidden things of shame. If you have to do it in secret... We openly denounce pornography. We openly denounce drunkenness. We go so far just to warn you that any person who is on staff or profile actually signs a code of conduct that they don't even touch alcohol. Not because we're legalists, but because as a pastor, it is my responsibility for you to be safe. Now, I don't lay that trip on the fellowship. I would say it's a sin to be drunk. It's a sin to be stoned. It's certainly a sin to do anything illegal. But I would want you to know that if you were struggling with alcohol or anything else, you could go to the house of any person you see up here in profile and know that it's a safe house for you to go to. You know why we do that? Because we love you. Honestly. Every person, every person in the choir, every person in the group, you see them, they openly sign that if they're here consistently in regards to the group. That's important. Because that's how much they care. They would rather give up what they think are the world's freedoms to make sure that you know you are safe. And we openly denounce drunkenness. We openly denounce the inadherence to the world's laws as long as they don't completely demand that we sin. We can disagree with them, we can not like them, but we submit to them until it demands that we sin. There was a girl born and raised in Luton, Many of you are familiar with where that is. Of course, all I have to say is that's, oh, that's where the airport is, right? Yes, but I didn't know this. There's actually a town there, which, by the way, apparently is famous for more things than its airport. 
I also didn't know that the EDL was actually birthed in 2010. I thought it had been around a long time. It had been here since I've been here. And very outspoken radical Muslims, who, by the way, this, this young lady, raised, born and raised in Luton, had gone out and become a photojournalist. And because she'd become a video journalist, actually, and she'd gone out and done all these things, she had went, gone back to, after five years of being gone from her city, her town, she goes back there to investigate what has become of it in the years of her absence. When she returns back to it, what she discovers is how deep the, draw, the battle lines are drawn and how radical the opinions are on the other sides. And listening to these men who were marching that were saying, UK, go to hell. Saying, if it isn't a Muslim law, we do not have to adhere to it. We don't have to adhere to the laws of the land because they're not our laws. Now, pardon me for saying, the moment a person says that, there seems to me that the government should have a right to say, well, then you shouldn't be here. I don't care who it is. The moment you think you're above the law of the land, the only time when you can disobey that would be when they demand that you sin. When China demands a woman to get an abortion, and the Bible tells you not to where you can honestly say we must obey God rather than men. Otherwise, we pay our taxes and we don't cheat. Otherwise, we don't grab something and walk out of a store. Otherwise, we don't lie to try to get our way. Well, that's rough, and we openly denounce those things. You know what's weird is there's a part of us that feels heavy hearing this, and there's a part of us that feels set free to hear it declared. Does that make sense? And Paul says, listen, we have, there's an inference that there's an open encouragement of the things of shame. By the way, it's interesting because Peter tells us the same thing in Second Peter 2.9. It says, while they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption for by whom a person is overcome and by whom he is also brought then into bondage. Ironically, the people who, who actually promise freedom are actually putting people in bondage by doing so. Now, now here is the heart of the matter. That's what the surface looks like. Here's the heart of the matter, because it's the heart of the matter I have to deal with. And the heart of the matter in its simplest sense is this. To whom am I trying to conform whose will? As a Christian... I am supposed to be seeking to conform my will to God's will. Conform myself to God's will. That is my heart. Now, that demands selflessness. That demands surrender. That demands me to step out of the spotlight, stop elevating myself, stop trying to make me anything, because I was made enough validated at the cross. Now, here's the problem. Is that... The other side of that is to try to conform God to your will. And when I first got saved, that's what most of my prayers looked like. How about yours? God, here's my will. Please give me this. Bless me in this way. Move me in this thing. Support me in this thing. Now, sometimes the Lord puts that, that desire on your heart. I don't doubt that as we delight in him. But we get to that point where we read the garden story with Jesus and he clearly did not want to go to the cross, but he knew if it was the only way to redeem us, he chose it because he said, not my will, but yours be done. But here's the, lay, the, 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 here's the rub on it. He says, if this is the only way to save Mara, I'll do it. If this is the only way to deliver Athena, I'll do it. 
If this is the only way to see Anna set free, Maureen made a brand new creation, then I'll do it. But if there's another way, it's only sane to ask, Dad. I don't want to go to the cross unless I have to. But not my will, yours be done. In the simplest sense, Jesus is agreeing with the Father at the end, and he's asking, is there another route to that end? The end, by the way, is you and me. That's the power of that statement. The end is, I want them. And I want them so bad that the devil even knew it, so that when he could try to give something to present before Jesus to try to, to, to tempt him, he put us in front of him because he knew that that's the one thing Jesus wanted. Please hear me in that. I'm guilty of this. I'm guilty of saying, Lord, I really don't want to be selfless today. Lord, I really don't want to take up my cross today. Lord, I really want to go and, and do my thing, and I want you to support me in it. And I could be just as guilty as these guys are. Now, granted, that isn't the hidden things of shame to the degree that these people are. These people are. And what they're openly declaring is, let's go get drunk, let's go have sex, let's just go be homosexual, or whatever it is. It doesn't matter whether Scripture says it or not. If it feels good, just do it. And God says, you know, Paul is saying, look, we are not doing that. We're openly denouncing those things. Now, to openly denounce those, you're going to make enemies. You know, people are going to say, but you don't understand. You are going against what people feel. And I'm like, yes, but you don't understand what I've initially felt was anger and violence. You should be thankful I go against what I know normally and naturally feel. Selfish, angry, bitter, confused, whatever it is that we've been, aren't you thankful He's taken that from us? And as He's taken it from us, beloved, can we publicly denounce the things that we ourselves, that there's, let's be honest, let's be honest, there's a part of us inside that wants to even right now sneak off and do something that we know is wrong. And the less accountability we have, the more that that person has a say. And Paul says, look, we publicly announce this. We have renounced the hidden things of shame. Which is completely opposite of what these guys were doing. You tell God your dreams, and then he'll tell you how to achieve them. Your dreams of Bentley? And I'm telling you, this is what people are saying. I'm not telling you that that's what I'm saying. And I've watched people that are very popular, that have lots of viewers, per se, tell people things like, if you really want the Ferrari, get a good picture of it, put it on your wall, look at it every day, and tell God that. It sounds an awful lot like an idol to me when you do that. Can you imagine if God says, you know what I have for you today, Mary? Suffering. Do you know what I have for you today, Jenny? I have total selflessness. I'm going to make you exhausted before this day is done. Do you know what I have for you today, Nathaniel? Complete self-denial. Which one of us thinks, yay? Marcia, today, the moment you get out of bed, I'm going to use you to the very end of the day. You are going to be exhausted. People are going to ask you to go the extra mile. You're not going to want to go an extra inch. Which one of us would think, well, maybe I just should lay in bed all day then and go to sleep again. Fake a coma. But what the Lord is saying, if we could hear it close enough, is, Naomi, I'm going to write you in all kinds of people's books today. Nathaniel, I'm going to use you in such a way today that you're going to be in four different chapters of four different people's lives and their testimonies. I continue to write. 
Daniel, you have no idea how many people I'm going to write your name in today. So get up and let's get going. But for that to happen, we want to publicly denounce the me first mindset and surrender to the Christ first mindset where eternity gets written all over us. And then God uses us like a pen to write all over eternity all over everyone else. Second, he also says in this verse, by the way, notice it says, not walking in craftiness or handling the word of God deceitfully. Craftily handling the word of God falsely makes sense when he says first that he renounced the hidden things of shame. Because no doubt if a person is going to tell you let's all get drunk and we're going to meet at the pub, someone somewhere down the line has a right to challenge them. And they should, by the way. The moment you see, and by the way, you all have my, not that you need my permission, you all have my exhortation for any person that you see in profile, that if you see any area of lifestyle, we're not talking about a single choice, but area of lifestyle that does not add up with Scripture to kindly and with respect but firmness Approach them on it. Because the Lord calls us to a standard. And you deserve to be safe. But the moment a person starts saying, well, this is what we're going to do, needless to say, someone's going to have to bring out and twist some form of scripture to get there. We're going to ordain gay priests. How do you find that in scripture? It's amazing how long of a message you have to give to twist that one. And I'm not trying to pick on that. It's just a very obvious and obviously a very current issue. But by the way, can I just say this, Christians? We have not supported marriage for over 50 years. Why should we take a stand on this if we won't take a stand for everything that it represents? We have not, we have been so nonchalant and, and cavalier about marriage, divorce, marriage, divorce, marriage, divorce. We've been backtracking what the Word of God has said about that. How far do we backtrack before we stand up and say, okay, well, this is no longer acceptable? None of this should be acceptable. People go and fall into sexual sin. And they don't have a time to actually deal with whether what they did was right or wrong. And we go, well, you don't understand. We're going to twist this scripture and twist this scripture. Please understand this, that if we're going to do this right, we should be able to read the word of God and say, you know, this is what it says. We should believe what it says. To properly handle the word of God. Workmen who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Hey, beloved, that's not me. That's all of us, me included. Now, in 2 Peter, again, chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, Peter speaks about the way that some have used Paul. And they said, as in his apostle, I'm sorry, as in his epistles, speaking in those things, it says, which some are hard to understand, but yet untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do the rest of the scriptures. But let's be honest on this. Because the rest will pick up. But please hear me in this. Someone comes to Shirley's door. Or someone comes to Deborah's door. Or someone comes to Danielle and Lauren's door. 
and they knock on the door. And they've got their leaflets and their pamphlets and their arguments and they're ready. Of course, they haven't been trained on how to deal with a Buddhist because Buddhists aren't going to argue. They haven't been trained how to deal with a, with a Muslim. They see sort of the Punjab and they're kind of, okay, we're, we're going to move out of this. But, but a Christian, they know how to argue with them, right? And they're going to say they're Christian, but so they get to the door and they're like, hi, would you like to, to, you know, and you're like, well, what are you about? Like, well, we kind of believe this and we kind of believe that and we kind of believe and you know, we believe that we are from the planet Kolob and that we're going to populate a planet and we're going to do all this stuff. And it's like, and we believe the Bible tells us that. And you're like, what? And you get to that point, beloved, please hear me patiently. Because it isn't just that. That's just a very obvious uh, example. We're like, you know what the sad part is? I genuinely believe that you could never have gotten there just reading the Bible. Someone had to manipulate and twist and guide you through things so you could come to this conclusion, because if you just read the Bible, what would you believe? The problem is, how many of us struggle with other areas because of people who call themselves experts? Is the Bible the expert? Or is the quote-unquote expert the expert? So we can twist scripture ourselves. I'm, I'm going to go right for the throat of it because I've never been good at dancing around something. If the elephant's in the room, I'm just going to knock it over on you. And me too. Evolution. Hey, deal with it whatever way you want, but let me ask you, if you just read scripture, what would you think? Before somebody else told you something else, what would you believe? A night and a day, it was a day. And then God spoke this, and then it was a day, it was a night, it was a day. And then God said this, it was a day and a night. It was a day. I think you would actually believe that everything was created in six days. People are going to go, well, you're really dumb because we have these experts. And you're like, oh, I'm so sorry. I thought God was. You're right. Did God not know? Well, a day's like a thousand years. Isn't what it says? A day's like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. I've never heard anyone tell me that the millennial reign of Christ was a day long. Because if a day's like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day, Maybe Jesus is like, I'm going to do my millennial reign on Tuesday next week. We don't think that way. You know why? Because it's not what Scripture says. What we've done is the same thing. And so when someone says, well, I don't really know if that applies because, well, because I heard this guy and he's got a collar or he's got a show or he's got a ministry and he waves his coat and people fall over and they shake like fish on a boat or whatever it is. You know, clearly he must be called by God. But what happened if you just got alone in Scripture and you said, you know, it says here this. And we just believed it. You know what we would have? The faith of a child. And Jesus says, unless you actually come to me that way, you're not even going to see the kingdom of God. Do you like that verse? I believe it. So listen, for instance, when someone says, well, God actually just wants some saved. I'd say, well, wait a minute. Well, what do you do with this verse? It's not God's will that any would perish, but all would come to repentance. Or this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all to be saved. And when someone says, well, all doesn't really mean all. When do you get up? Hey, look at, I've never thought of myself as the dumb, like the dimmest bulb in the chandelier. I've never thought of myself as the brightest. But I've never thought of myself as the dimmest. But I've learned this as I get older. What I used to think is if I didn't get something, the problem was with me. 
I'm like, well, I'm just not smart enough to get it. And I've grown to this place where if I don't get it, sometimes it isn't really the problem's me. When something simple gets really complicated, maybe the problem isn't always me. Have you ever been in something and you thought it was so simple and then you sat with somebody and then you didn't know what in the world you thought? And you go, Pastor, how do I make sense of this? I'm like, stop it, shut everything out, and just read the Bible. And then discover for yourself what it says. You're like, but I don't get everything. God says, that's good because your brains would explode. You get what you need, though. You're like, but I don't get this little part, but I got 35 other verses. I'm like, and you didn't get anything? The 35 verses were nothing? Do you know how that works? What's amazing is the more you read it, the more you get And you know the beautiful part is? You'll actually speak from authority. You won't say, well, I think Spurgeon said, or I think, but hey, but wait a minute, but is God really in control? Well, clearly it says, who can resist his will? God has a will. And he said, well, but wait a minute, but people do resist his will. And it tells us that because it says that the Pharisees always resisted the will of God for him because it tells us that refusing to be baptized by John. So which one is it? Can God have a perfect will or can man refuse it? Both. Well, that doesn't work out. Says who? Well, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't have to. That's where faith steps in. Are we really so proud as to think that if it doesn't make sense, it's wrong? What does it say about us? When science tells us the universe is expanding, what does that mean? What it means is they measured it. I don't know how you measure nothingness. What goes beyond that? What's what's at the end of the universe? Not nothingness? And they're like, well, it's expanding. What they said is, we said it was this long, and now it's this long. Well, maybe you just got it wrong the first time. Nobody will say that. How about if it's just like, listen, it's really, really big. Well, that's so simple. Yeah. I don't actually plan on visiting the end of it. I'm going to have a hard enough time getting from one side of London to the other. Think look at we've renounced the hidden parts of listen, but this is the way it works. The reason why we're renouncing the hidden things of shame is because we read our Bibles. And because we read our Bibles, hey, if the only time you get the word of God is when you walk into this room with me or in one of the other studies we have, can I just say lovingly shame on you? Because somewhere down the line you're not getting what I'm trying to do, and that is that what I'm trying to do is instill a passion for the word of God that has so overtaken my soul that I want you to be like I want you to open up and go, Oh, it's gonna be good. And you get there and you're like, mm, don't get that, don't get that. And then, bam! You're like, oh, oh, got that. Guess I needed that today. Sometimes that bam is a hug or a carry or a word that you're like, you ever have read something and you're like, you know, it isn't that I don't get it, I just don't get how it applies to me yet. You ever that? And you're like, well, that just stuck in my head. Like a song you can't get rid of from a Disney film or something. And, and then you walk through the day and you're like, oh, no. And then you're like mulling it over all day, which God, by the way, calls biblical meditation, which is chewing your cud. So you're, you're going over in your head all day. And all of a sudden you're in something and someone goes, hey, and they need counsel. And you're like, oh, blah, blah, blah. And that verse falls out and you go, oh, I get it now. It's a little, it's a little, in the morning you're like, the Lord's like, okay, take this. You're going to need this. And you're like, for what? And God goes, oh, you'll see. And then you're walking around going, what's this thing, what's this thing? And someone's like, do you have this thing? And you're like, oh, here. And you're like, oh, man. And you're like, check it out, it was for that. And then 10 minutes later, you're using it again. And then 15 minutes, you're using it again. And you're like, well, I thought it was once. And by the time you're going to bed at night, all of a sudden you realize, whoa, this does apply to me. And it took all of that to get you to where you could get it. Isn't God so good? 
Beloved, I cannot stress how important it is to be in God's word alone, you and him, and let him speak to you. So where you could say, you know what, I know God speaks through his word because he speaks to me through his word. Not just that crazy guy with the hat on. But you're going to be responsible then when God says, hey, this doesn't line up. And you're like, well, then we're going to renounce that. I want to renounce that. That doesn't work. Every night, I have a devotion with every one of my daughters. That's two. And my wife. That's three. And then my own. That's four. Every night, four different times, I'm in a different place in Scripture. That's four different times for me to get something. And God goes, what about this? Oh, boy. Yes, Lord, I want to renounce that. It's amazing how we can renounce other things. I'm, I felt a cold coming on, and I just rebuked it. I saw a bill, and I said, I rebuke you. Oh, if I could do that. Especially these days, I'm like, are you kidding me? I, I, re, I, re, I rebuke the spirit of poverty, and I rebuke the... Hmm. You get it. Property tax, and whatever. But we can't openly rebuke the things in our own heart that really should get rid of more than anything. Like openly renounce, if it doesn't line up with Scripture, then I shouldn't line up with it. Okay, let's close this up. Let's bring this around. So you know what Paul does? He goes, rather, listen, rather, but the manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. He goes, you know what I'd rather do? I'd rather manifest the truth and commend to people's consciences. Instead of encouraging the things of shame, I'm going I'm to actually say, God give you a conscience, and if you get a uh-oh, then get out. Someone goes, come on, let's go to this place. And you're like, I'm not really sure. And then you get there, and you get the uh-oh feeling, and you're, mm-hmm, 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 and you have more clothes on than everybody else in the room combined. And you're like, man, I don't know if I should be here can I commend you to your conscience? Listen to the Holy Spirit speak to you when it says get out and you're like, but that would be awkward. You're already awkward. You're, you're, the Holy Spirit's nagging you. Get out. I want to commend you to that and I want to commend me to that too. But if I'm going to renounce the hidden things of shame and I'm going to do that with you as well, then let's commend ourselves to the conscience. Does that make sense? Shame is the ignorance or the ignoring of our conscience, isn't it? And I want to manifest the truth. Instead of manipulating the word, I'm going to let the word say what it says. Instead of contriving for my own purposes, I'm going to derive from it what it literally says and says, all right, this is what it is. So I want to manifest that truth. How do I do that? God changed me to make me like what I should be here. Then he says the third thing of our four. Verse 3, but even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. The third thing that he's inferring is that there are a group of people that's saying that what Paul's saying is such nonsense, nobody could get anything out of it. So you know what? If somebody doesn't get the simplicity of the gospel, it's because they're perishing. That's the problem. It isn't because I'm not telling you the truth. It's interesting because Paul would say the same thing in one manner or another in 2 Corinthians 3.15. If you remember when it says when Moses is read that a veil lays on these people's heart, but when they turn to the Lord, it's taken away. They get blinded. But listen to this. Talk about something eye-opening. Luke chapter 9, verses 44 through 46. Jesus is sitting down with his boys and he says this, Boys, let these words sink down into your ears. You know what that means? Guys, stop thinking about everything else. I have something very important to tell you. Please listen with your heart. The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. And this is what it says. But they did not understand the saying. 
It was hidden from them, so they did not perceive it. They were afraid to ask him about it, so they were blinded. They were blinded from seeing it. Now, did God blind them? Did God not want them to get it? Listen to the next verse. And I put, God put it there purposely. Then a dispute arose, the next verse, then a dispute arose among them as to which of them would be greatest. Do you get it? Do you know why they couldn't see Jesus' total sacrifice? Because they were too blinded by their own selfish desires. And I could do that too. And so what Paul is saying here is, listen, they're accusing me of saying things that are, in the simplicity, too difficult to understand. Oh, it's just nonsense. But have you ever had God speak to you and you're like, God, I'm going to pretend like I don't get that so that I'm not responsible for what I'm supposed to do with it? Or is it just me that's ever done I mean, other people that I've heard about that have done that. If it's veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of the sage is blinded, who do not believe lest the light of the gospel, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. And then our last, verse 5. We do not preach ourselves. But you know what we do preach? We preach Christ and ourselves, your bondservants. What is it like for a person to preach themselves? What's simple? What are they trying to convert people to? Are they trying to convert them to them? Are they trying to convert them to their movement, to their camp, to their stance? Or are they trying to convert them to Christ? John 5.43 says, I have come in my Father's name and you won't receive me, but if, a one, if another comes in his own name, him you will receive. 2 Corinthians 11, verses 19 and 20. Oh, you put up with fools gladly, since you yourselves are so wise. You put up with one if they bring you into bondage, if one devours you, takes from you, or if one exalts himself, strikes you in the face. Oh, you'll put up with that. You just won't put up with anyone actually loving you. Proverbs 20, verse 6 says, Most men will proclaim each his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? And by man, that's mankind, ladies, just so you know. It isn't like, don't make that your life first. Who can, who can find a faithful man? And you get it. Listen, I'm always saying be very wary of anybody who's busy trying to convert Christians. Well, now that you're saved, where do you stand on this issue? Where are you on this? Are you here or here? And you're like, I didn't even know there was a here or there. I thought we were all a family. Well, this brother stands on this side. This brother stands on this side. Are you a Pentecostal? Or are you a liturgical? Are you a pre-tribulational? Are you a post-tribulational? Are you an anti Are you this or that? And you're like, I don't even know what these terms mean. Funny, a moment ago it was just about Jesus. The whole chapter, the last chapter, was all about Jesus. And now it's like, I don't know where I stand on that. Well, do you have the gift of tongues? I don't know. Who gave it to me? I have a tongue. How many do you have? What do you do with them all? It is amazing how all of a sudden, the moment you get saved, someone stands there and they're like with a whistle trying to tell you what compartment to go into. But man looks at the outer appearance, and it's the Lord who looks at the heart. Do you get it? Because we don't preach ourselves. This isn't about our camp. By the way, how many times have you ever heard me try to? How many times have you ever heard me say Calvary Chapel? How many times have you ever heard me speak about Chuck Smith or any other Calvary pastor? Not that I don't respect them. How many times have you ever heard? How many times have you ever heard me talk about? Things like this church, unless it's like, let this church be a church that loves people. Do you realize? How many times have you heard me go, hey, check me out. You guys all need to see how awesome I am. Have you, do you hear that? What I want is for you to know Christ. 
hey, you learn about me sooner or later. What you realize is I need Christ too. Paul's like, look at what these guys are doing is it's all about them. And by the time you're done, it is the Mary Giorgio power hour, the Daniel Taylor hour of miracles, the Marcia shield slain in the spirit time. Sister prophetess so-and-so, Shirley Jenkins. An hour of Shirley prophesying and being sister whatever, levitating and making sure that she can... By the time you're done, and oh, and chickens are going to fly out of your ears, and you're going to get the holy feathers, and ooh, and man, because, you know why? Because, and you know what happened? It's like, oh, you know what happened? I just met with Sister Mary prophetess Shirley Jenkins. Oh, did you get the chills? Did you get the oil? Did you get the chicken feathers? Did you get the, you know, and it's like, oh, it's like funny. It's like, you know, it's like, if someone says, you know what, I just ran into Pastor Tony. My hope is that the life I live would be one that you'd go, well, then I bet you met Jesus. And you didn't mean me. Because if you're going to hang out with me sooner or later, I want to die in front of you too. The only thing different is you can run from me, I can't. But I know what it's like to say, all right, Jesus, do something with this because it isn't worth it otherwise. Look in. I want you with Christ. Because we don't preach ourselves, but we do preach this about ourselves. Bondservants. You know why? Because I want you converted to Christ and I want the saved converted to servants. I want you to realize this isn't a spectator sport. Y'all going to be rubbing shoulders with each other, serve each other like Christ called you to. And I want you to know, if I'm calling you to do it, how can I expect you to do anything I'm not doing? That's the way that works. So we don't preach ourselves. We preach Christ, Jesus, the Lord. Not just Mr. Nice Guy with the, the lamb on his shoulders, but the Lord. He's to be submitted to. Ourselves, your bondservants, I'm here to serve you. And I want you to know that I want to challenge you to do the same, serve each other. For it is God who commanded light to shine into the darkness. I don't have to make light shine. That's God's job. He's shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Last thing, and let's pray. We have this treasure. What treasure is this? The amazing glory of God. We have the power of Jesus Christ who conquered death at the cross, dying for our sins, rose again from the grave so we could have new life. We have that in us. And all of a sudden, the issue is no longer about us. We're earthen vessels. That's what we are. And we go back to that personal and practical. The personal is, I'm just an earthen treasure chest. That's what I am. Nothing fancy about this. It doesn't have to be. Because the issue is, no matter how much you doll up the chest, if it isn't holding anything, it's really not worth much. In the sight of God, I'm worth everything. In the sight of you, I don't need to be. Because inside... Well, personally, I'm a treasure chest, and so are you. Here's the crazy part. You're like Mary Poppins' bag. You just don't know it. In other words, the more that you hand out that glory to God, of God to others, the more you keep reaching in, you're going to find more of it. You're not going to run out. It's crazy how that works. But practically, my life is a platform for God's power, not mine. And that's what it says here. We have this treasure in earth and vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God, not in us. That's the point here, beloved. It's never going to be about us. It's not going to be about Calvary Chapel. It's not going to be about non-denominationalism. It's not going to be about whether you're Pentecostal or whether you're liturgical. What's funny is the, one of the things I do love about Calvary Chapel is no one knows where the heck to put us, which is fine because I don't even know. To the Pentecostal, we're liturgical. To the liturgical, we're Pentecostal. How fun is that? 
To the conservative, we're progressive, but to the progressive, we're conservative. Hey, let me tell you, things have really changed. Ten years ago, 20, and I've been a pastor now over 20 years, 25 years now. Isn't that crazy? And when I first started, it was really cool because when people say, oh, you're a pastor? Aren't you supposed to be fat and bald? And I'm like, give me some time. (laughs) Hopefully you're thinking he still needs more time. Now people are like, oh, you're a pastor. Aren't you supposed to be young, tattooed, and drunk? That's what I hear now. Honestly, it's what I hear. I think, wow, in my, in, in my lifetime, in the time from when I stepped into ministry to where I am now, people now it's like, you need to be a hipster, right? Aren't you a pastor? Well, you wear the flannel, but you should have a giant beard and a lot of tats and some piercings, right? And you should have something on there that says something really offensive, and you should really get in the face of someone and throw egg in their face with what you say. And, and you should, how many blogs do you have? How many, I'm like, blog? I'd rather sit with you than blog to people that about my last bowel movement. And I, I mean, I've, I've turned. I'm like, what? What is this? I'm, uh, pardon me for saying this, but I don't really think that you're really that interested in it. Praise God. I'm really. I'll be honest. I'm, I really. I really don't think that that's important. It's important to me, but it shouldn't be important to you. The important thing should be really Jesus, right? Not, you know, LOL, JK, OMG, I just discovered that I cracked my nail. How many people want to sympathize with me? Give me a like or not like. No, I'm not trying to pick on you for on any of all that. But please hear me on that. In the end of it all, if you got to use it, use it for the Lord. I just want you to know Jesus. Because you know what we are? We're crackpots. Think about it. We're pots that hold the treasure, but he cracks so that he cracks us, he breaks us so that he could shine through us, because otherwise we'll actually clam him up. I guess we go to prayer, beloved. Where are you at today with the things of shame? Is there anything you're hiding? And trying to even hide from yourself or from your conscience? Or could you commend yourself to other people's consciences and your own too? Lord, when you say it's bad, I don't want to not hear you. I don't want to ignore you or pretend, ah, la, 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 I'm too busy. Hi, please hold. But I want to read your word and I want it to say, this is what it says, this is what it says. And I want to just say, there you go. And I don't need an expert to tell me because the expert's the guy who wrote it and he lives inside of me. Think about it. You could have the book read by the author. Just open it up and let God speak. Beautiful is that. And if you listen to anything else, can I just challenge you? The moment you do that, you're going to find God in a way so beautiful and so deep. Because what you're going to find out is He's in love with you. Died on the cross to be with you. Rose again to give you new life so we could spend eternity with you. And that's how that chapter works. That's how everything makes eternity worthwhile. Have you accepted that gift? Have you said yes to the gift of Jesus Christ? That's where it all starts. But when we say yes, we don't confess him just as Savior, beloved. We confess him as Lord. We give him a right to every area of our life, right? If he's Lord. Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you. Lord, I look at this text again, and here is Paul, and he's looking at a group of people. No wonder why they have questions and doubts about Paul, because from the surface, from the outside, well, what it looks like is he's suffering, he's being chased out of town, he's getting beat up. Religious leaders hate him. There's all kinds of websites about how rotten of a guy he is because he's not impressive to listen to. And there's all kinds of 
discernment ministries talking about how rotten Paul is and you know that kind of stuff, Lord. And you, you know that. And from the surface, nobody's looking at the fruit. Nobody's looking at the lives that are changed. Everyone's trying to judge him from a surface. And then on that surface, he's weak and he's beggarly. He's not rich and he's not living in a big fancy place. He's kind of a homeless guy running around from place to place preaching your gospel and people are getting saved and delivered and demoniacs are no longer demoniacs and, and all of that. And, and that just everything is different. And for a person that's yelling prosperity and how everybody needs to be rich and wealthy and healthy and here's Paul being sick, not getting what he wants. Imagine that it would look like he didn't have enough faith. But also from those that preached that, they could go to the, to the garden and Jesus must not have had enough faith because you asked the Father for something and he said no three times. Certainly you suffered. Certainly you were weak. You bled. But it wasn't for a lack of faith. It was because you loved us. And tonight I make that choice again, not because I have to, but I just want to openly declare, not only renouncing the things of shame, but openly embracing my Savior. Openly embracing the truth of your word that declares who you really are, so I don't have to make you up. So that I could say tonight, Lord, please, tonight, please, be the Lord of my life. Let there be no areas that are hidden areas of shame. Let there be no areas where I'm just relying on somebody else's view on something instead of actually getting in the Word. And if I don't get it, then maybe it's just not for me to know right now. Please at least let me know what I get right now so that I could be responsible for what I get right now. Make the changes in me that are necessary so that I conform to your Word. And that my life conforms to your will, not me bantering to try to get you to conform to mine. So that you could be exalted, lifted high, because you're the one who saves people. Not I being lifted up or exalted, because that does nothing good. But that you would be exalted like you rightly deserve. I pray, Lord, for the churches in London, this one included, that we would have no ridiculous battle lines drawn in regards to those things that are all in allegiance with your word. But Lord, that we would properly take a stand against those that, that deny, outright deny and defy your word so that we can openly declare our allegiance to you through your word. Lord, that we do not preach ourselves. We're not here about elevating ourselves but that we could be glad just to be earthen vessels because what we contain is the greatest gift of the universe in eternity. And tonight, Lord, write us all over all kinds of people's chapters in the very best of ways. As we declare you, Lord, well, you have that plan for our lives. And Lord, I know your end is, our, is the end we desire, but the route you would, that you choose that is necessary and essential to get there may not be the one we want, but Lord, we submit ourselves to you trusting you know how to get us there. You don't ever have to look at a GPS. You don't have to do any of that. You know exactly where you're going. You've never had to ask for directions. So may we keep our eyes on you and follow you as we should. And make us people who genuinely love each other, please. 
genuinely love each other the way we should. Where it isn't about black people on one side and white people on the other or old or young or tall or short or fat or skinny or rich or poor or educated or not. East Ender, West Ender, North or South. Native or transplant. Truth be told, we're all citizens of heaven and you. Born into that by rebirth, so we're all natives of the same homeland. Get us off the surface. Deliver us from surface Christianity to Jesus's, to Christ's Christianity like you deserve. Jesus, in your name.